0: This morning we will be in the book of Ezra, chapters 5 and 6. Please take a moment and find that in your Bibles. We'll be looking at two chapters, but I'm not going to read the entire Scripture. Uh, To begin with, we will just read Ezra chapter 5, the first five verses. And then we'll read more of the Scripture as we move along. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> hear the word of the Lord. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tatanei, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozanei and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish this structure? They also asked them this. What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius. Then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Let's pray.
1: Oh God, open your word to us,
0: and open us to your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever considered why when Christians... Uh, when we become born again, why doesn't God just take us on to heaven? I mean, wouldn't it be better for us if, if when we got saved, we just went right on to be with Jesus? Do this. Yeah, that'd be great. But why doesn't God spare us this life as Christians where we we struggle with sin and we, we, we long to be more like Him and we have to you know, deal with persecution and sickness. And Wouldn't it be so much better if we could just go on and be with Jesus? Like, like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And for a Christian, that would be great. Why does God leave us here? Here's why. Because He has a work for us to do. Right? O land of rest, for thee I sigh. When will the moment come when I shall lay my armor by and dwell in peace at home? We'll work till Jesus comes. Isn't that what what the song says? We'll work till Jesus comes. We long for the day when we'll lay by this armor, when the fight will be no more and we can be with Jesus. But until then, we have a work to do. And I need us to understand today that it is the most critical, the most important work possible. That There is nothing on this earth more important than the work of the kingdom that God has given to the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing else you can give yourself to in this life is of the importance of Of the kingdom and the gospel. Listen, feeding the hungry is a great thing to do, but it's not as important as the work of the gospel. Clothing the naked is a wonderful thing to do, but it's not as important as the work of the gospel. Taking care of the sick, giving shelter to the homeless. There are a million things you can do that are of value, of great value, but none of them is of the importance of the work of the gospel. Because every living human being is a creature with a soul,
1: a spiritual nature. And that soul is going to continue through eternity somewhere.
0: in the presence of God in eternal bliss, or shut out from the presence of God in eternal torment. And what makes the difference is how they respond to the gospel. That's what decides whether a person will spend eternity with God or eternity separated from God. It all hinges on what they do with the gospel. I say again, there is nothing more important than the work of the gospel. Nothing. Nothing. Because we can feed every person on this planet. We can give clothing and medical care to every person on this planet. And billions of them can die and go to hell. And if they do, ultimately, how have we helped them? You with me? If we really want to help people, We need to give them the gospel. We need to give ourselves to the work of the kingdom. And listen, we can't afford to have a casual approach to this work. We can't afford to approach the work of the kingdom like it's only somewhat important. Like it's only one of the things we're giving ourselves to. Uh, Like it's just one among many things that we've been put here for. No, it is the task that we've been put here for. Are there other things we give ourselves to? Yes, we do care for our neighbors and we try to feed the hungry and and clothe the naked and those things, but they're all in service of the gospel. We do all that in the name of Jesus, that His name may be known, that the gospel may be preached, that people may come to know Him so we cannot have a casual approach to work and the importance of our work makes it absolutely necessary that its work prospers. You understand? We can't afford to fail at this work. We can't afford to have a casual approach like it doesn't matter if we succeed. No, it's very critical that we have an outlook on the work of the kingdom that sees that, that prospering in this work is critical. But how do we do that? How do we prosper in the work of the Lord? That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we come to Ezra 5 and 6, we have already seen in the last couple of weeks the context of this book. Okay, We remember the, the southern kingdom of Judah was overthrown by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in the year 586 B.C. They were all taken captive into Babylon and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was torn down. The walls were broken down. And for 70 years they spent in captivity in Babylon well during that 70 years the kingdom of Babylon was overthrown by the by the Medes and the Persians Cyrus the Great became king king of the Persians and he passed the decree allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that's what the book of Ezra is about the Jews from Judah coming back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the temple. And as we saw last week, when they came back, they faced opposition. There were those living in the what used to be the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaritans, who didn't want Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And they've done everything they can to get the work to stop. They even had a king at the time to cause a cease and desist order on the work of the temple. But now, as we come to Ezra 5 and 6, we see that work resume. We see work on the temple continue. And we even see the work prosper. And the question we want to ask is, what does this show us about how the work of the kingdom prospers? There are three things I want to show you as we look at the scripture this morning. Here's the first one. The people obey faithfully. The people obey faithfully. I want you to look at chapter 5, verse 1. Notice what it says. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So he mentioned two prophets who prophesied to the Jews who had come back to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity. What was the prophecy of these two prophets? Well, both of them were writing prophets. What that means is We have a book of Haggai in the Old Testament, and we have a book of Zechariah. So we know what it is they prophesied. It says they prophesied to the Jews. Well, what did they prophesy? I'm going to read you a little bit from both of them. Haggai chapter 1 verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. So Haggai prophesied to these Jews, make the building of my house a priority. Now let's look at a little bit of Zechariah's prophecy. Chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The plumb line being a tool that's used to rebuild. So both Haggai and Zechariah are prophesying about the rebuilding of the temple, calling the people of God to come and rebuild the temple. This is what they're calling them to. Now, as we're back in Ezra chapter 5, if you look at verse 2, what you see is, How do the people respond to the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah? Look at it, verse 2. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. The prophets of God were with the people, supporting them. That's important. That's a way of God showing that He is giving His full support to the people, giving His approval and His blessing to the work. Here's what I need you to see. When God sent men of God to call the people to begin to work on the temple again, to get busy, how did they respond? In obedience. They did what the Lord called them to do. Here's what I need you to see if we want God's approval, if we want God's support, if we want God's blessing on the work of the kingdom that He's given us to do, we have to respond in obedience. We have to be obedient to what He has called us to do if we're going to succeed at what He's called us to do. Does that make sense? We have to obey Him if He's going to prosper His work in our hands let me give you a couple of examples would you like God to bless our efforts to evangelize to see people come to Christ to try to lead the lost to salvation would you like to see God bless that work in our hands well if he's going to bless that work we have to be obedient to do that work right God's called us to be witnesses. But if He's going to bless that work, we've got to first be faithful and do it. Does that make sense? He's going to respond to us when we're obedient. Listen, do you want God to bless you in your personal spiritual growth? Well, then you have to be obedient and draw near to Him and pray and spend time with Him and worship Him.
1: Listen, the
0: the, the principle here is very simple. This is not complicated. God is not going to prosper His work in the hands of a people who are disobedient. This is real simple. You, You know the greatest thing we can do? I was thinking about this this morning. You know the greatest thing we can do as a church to secure our future and to prosper in the work of the Lord you know the greatest thing we could do? we could give ourselves to becoming as much like Jesus as we possibly can to, to, to walking in obedience as closely as we possibly can that's of greater value than any strategy that we can give ourselves to That's that's of greater value than any gimmicks or games to try to attract people to the church. There's nothing greater we can do to succeed than to give ourselves to wholehearted faithfulness and obedience to God. Because can I tell you something? When we start to become more and more and more like Jesus... Nobody's going to have to beat us over the head to get us to talk to people about the Lord. When He is the joy and delight of our heart, it's going to spill out of our mouth. Can I tell you something? You don't have any trouble talking to people about what you love the most. You don't. Those hobbies, that you, those things you just love, there are some things you can just talk about all the time. You just love them. You, you Fishing or hunting, or for me, some of the things I've always loved were things like that. Or when I was young, it might be sports. Listen, when when the, the Lord is the burning desire of our hearts, it becomes so much easier to talk to people about Him. It becomes so much easier to love other people. Listen, it becomes so much easier to prosper in His work when He is the absolute center of our joy. Obedience and faithfulness to God is the key to prospering in the work of God. Listen, that's really the message of the text here. You know when we're going to prosper in the work of God? When we prosper in our walk with God. You will prosper in the work of God when you prosper in your walk with God. When you get to verses 3 and 4, it looks like opposition is going to arise again. You remember last week we saw that the work on the temple had been halted by the king. This time the opposition wants to report the people to the king again, to King Darius. Darius was the king uh, when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. It's that same king. and The opposition is going to try to Report to Darius, because they don't. They don't. They wondering why the Jews have gone back to rebuilding again. So they report to Darius. But notice what it says in verse five: the eye of God was on the elders and didn't stop them. In other words, in the face of opposition, this time they weren't intimidated. They weren't. They weren't made afraid. They continued to work on the kingdom. Listen to me. When the people set their heart to obedience, God strengthened them. When they were determined to obey, God helped them to obey. Does that make sense? When they were determined to obey, God helped them in the work. Listen, when you and I get to the place that we're determined to do what God has given us to do, He will bless the work of the kingdom in our hands. When we get to the place that obedience becomes priority, listen to what I'm telling you. Being saved by grace makes obedience no less important. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are saved by grace for good works. And the the, the more we give ourselves to faithful obedience, the more we'll see God's work prosper in our hands. So we see the people obey faithfully. And then what happens? The Lord moves powerfully. Look at chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. This is what's happened. The opposition asks the people, why are you working on the temple again? Well, they write a letter to the king. We saw that happen last time. It resulted in the king shutting down the work. So they write another letter. We see that letter beginning in chapter 5, verse 6. Let me read. This is a copy of the letter that Tatanei, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozanei and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. To Darius the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones. Timber is laid in its walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house, to finish this structure? We also asked them their names for your information, that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. We are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt and the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon. These Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazar, who he had made governor. And he said to him, Take these vessels, go, and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now it has been in building and it has not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus, the king, for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. Basically, this is the letter. King... We asked them why they're rebuilding the temple. They said they're rebuilding the temple of God because Cyrus sent them back, gave them permission to rebuild the temple of God. We want to know if Cyrus really did give them permission. So they send the letter. Now, this letter is very critical. And here's why. Because depending on how the king responds to this letter, will depend on whether or not the work on the temple can continue. you with me? The thing I want you to think about is this. Whether or not the people's work on the Lord's house prospers is in the hands of the king. You understand? Whether or not the work on God's house continues is in the hands of the king of Persia that means it's not in the people's hands Whether or not their work continues and prospers and is finished is out of their hands at this point even though the people were faithfully obeying the Lord ultimately whether or not their work would continue was out of their hands it was out of their control but here's what I want you to see it wasn't out of God's control It was out of their hands, but it wasn't out of God's hands. While the people could not influence the king one way or another, God most certainly could influence the king. So when Darius received the letter, he called
1: for the archives to be searched to see
0: if Cyrus really had made a decree And the decree made by Cyrus was found. It was just as the Jews had said. Cyrus had indeed made a decree that the temple be rebuilt. Look what Darius does in chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Now therefore, Tatanei, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozanei, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews, for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue the tribute of the province from beyond the river, and whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Did you see what happened there? First of all, the opposition was eliminated. I love what it says there. He tells the governors of the territory, the end of verse 6, keep away. Don't interfere with the work. Let the work on the house of God alone. So opposition is eliminated. And If you look at verse 8, not only is opposition eliminated, but the expense for rebuilding the house of God is covered. Paid for. No need to have a building fund. No need to do fundraisers. No need to have a capital investment campaign paid for by the king. And not only that, verse 9, not only is the opposition limited, the expense for rebuilding provided, provision is even made for the people's worship. Everything they need to worship, to to carry out the worship as God has directed, all of it has been provided provided. It said in the end of verse 10, let that be, end of verse 9, let that be given to them day by day without fail. Whatever they need for worship. I want you to see this. God doesn't just make Darius agreeable to rebuilding the temple. God doesn't just say, okay, God doesn't just cause Darius to say, well, okay, I'll allow it. No, 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 no. God moves in Darius' heart in such a way that Darius gives his full and complete and absolute support to the work. Verse 11, look at it, chapter 6. Also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill, May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. The king throws himself behind the building of the temple with 100% of his will and his resources. Now I want you to listen and I need you to understand How that relates to you and I and the work God has called us to. We cannot bring about salvation in the heart of anyone. That work is out of our hands, it's out of our control.
1: We can't produce spiritual growth
0: in anybody's life, it's out of our control. The work of God's kingdom is a spiritual work. It's a supernatural work. It's the work of God. It's a work only God can do. With our own strength and our own abilities and our own wisdom, we don't have the ability to produce positive spiritual results for the kingdom of God. Just like the people, there came a point where whether or not their work continued and prospered was out of their hands. Remember? Well, in our in our work, there is a sense, there comes a point at which whether or not our work prospers is out of our hands. Just like they needed God to get involved if their work was going to prosper, you and I need God to get involved if our work's going to prosper. We need God to move in power. We need God to move in the hearts of people. You see... Evangelism only is successful in seeing people get saved if God saves them. You listen to what I'm fixing to say very carefully. You can sing 47 verses of Just I Am, of Just as I Am. And you've been in services where they did this. The preacher just had him keep singing and keep singing and keep singing and he'd tell as many tear-jerking stories as he could to, to try to do whatever he could to get somebody to come forward and he'd lead them in a prayer. Listen, you can manipulate people and lead them in a sinner's prayer, but that don't put them in the kingdom of God. Only God can regenerate a heart. Only God can change your heart. You can't manipulate somebody into repeating some formula and poof, that makes them in the... No, salvation's a work of God in the heart of man. You're not saved because of something you did. You're saved because of something God did. If you're relying on something you did back there for your salvation, then you're in trouble. If all you got to lean on is something you did, then you ain't saved. If you're saved, it's because of something God did. It's because God birthed you into the kingdom of God. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is we need God to save people. In the same way with spiritual growth, seeing Christians grow in the faith, that's a work of the Spirit of God in them, causing them to become more like Christ. We can do some things to a point, but at the end of the day, how successful we are in really seeing people grow, how successful we are in really seeing people get saved depends on the work of God we need God to do what
1: we can't do
0: now I want us to think about what we've seen so far because there's a progression here the people obey faithfully then the Lord moves powerfully And here's the third part. Here's where it all comes together. Then the work prospers accordingly. The people obey faithfully. The Lord moves powerfully. And then the work prospers accordingly. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, we'll see this. What I want you to see is how the faithfulness of the people and the power of God together result in the work of God prospering. Verse 14... What you see when you look there is the elders and the Jews began to build. You see it? And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. What does that mean? In other words, as they responded in obedience to the preaching of the men of God, the work prospered. God had the prophets there calling the people to obedience, and as they responded in obedience and did what they called them to do, the work prospered. Then, verse 14 again, they finished building by the decree of God of Israel and by a decree of Cyrus and Darius. Those are the two kings that made a decree that the temple would be rebuilt. God Moved in the hearts of those two kings to see to it that the temple was rebuilt. This is what I need to see. As the people obeyed, God caused the work to prosper. God got involved and the work was completed. And you know what the ultimate sign was that the work of God had been completed, that the work of God prospered? Worship began to resume in the house of God. Worship was once again taking place in the house of God. And that's what the people had longed for. Look at verse 16. The people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered dedication of the house of God, a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions, and the Levites in their divisions, for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. On the fourteenth day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the people of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned their heart, had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. There are two things you see when you look at these verses. You see the people once again give themselves to worship.
1: And you see that they are filled with joy.
0: Verse 22. Think about that. The people once again begin to glorify God through worship. And as they do, their hearts are filled with joy. I want you to think about this just a minute. When we obey faithfully, God moves in power And the work of God prospers. And when the work of God prospers, He gets glory and we get joy. You with me? When we are simply faithful to do what God has given us to do, He's going to get involved in it. He's going to bless it to the extent that He desires. As we obey and He gets involved, we're going to see the work prosper accordingly. He's going to get glory and we're going to get joy. Listen. Here's the message right here. You ready? Our work for God prospers when our walk with God prospers. Very simple. Our work for God prospers when our walk with God prospers.
1: When we're, when we're drawing near to God as we should, He's going to so bless us. You know, I think sometimes our mistake,
0: my mistake, you think, as long as I've been preaching, I, I, I get this, I seem to be such a slow learner sometimes. You know, I think the mistake we make sometimes. We focus, okay, I need to do this. If I was a good Christian, I'd do this. I'd do this more and I'd do this. And we, we, we start telling ourselves, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this. I'm going to start talking to people about Jesus. I, I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I, I'm going to start praying more. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start being more faithful to Wednesday night prayer, meeting, whatever it is. We see the things we ought to do. I'm going to stop watching that garbage on TV. And, and, but we fail to understand something. All we're trying to do is transform our behavior by an act of our will.
1: What is really the secret of doing the things you ought to do as a Christian?
0: The secret is, is when, when you begin to draw near to God with the heart. Let me give you an example. Your goal when you wake up and read your Bible every morning is not so you'll feel better about yourself because you did your religious duty for the day. You don't win any points with God because you read your Bible. We don't operate on a point system with God. We're saved by grace, not by our efforts. The point of spending time in prayer every day is not so that you can check it off your list and feel better about yourself. It's not even to get the things that you want from God. The point of reading your Bible, the point of spending time in prayer, the point of being faithful to church is to enjoy God. To draw near to Him. To experience sweet communion and fellowship with Him. Don't you get it? You know why we struggle to do the things that we ought to do? We don't do what we ought to do because we don't want to. You don't read your Bible more than you do because you don't want to. You don't pray more than you do because you don't want to. You don't talk to people about Jesus like you ought to because you don't want to. What we need is to change our want to. Listen, that happens as you you grow in love for God. So listen to me. Listen to me today when I'm talking about giving ourselves in obedience to God. I don't just mean trying in our own strength to do the things God tells us to do. I mean giving ourselves to loving Him and to knowing Him and to drawing near to Him, to becoming passionate about Him. Because then the doing will take care of itself. What we need is to love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because when we love Jesus that way, the obedience part takes care of itself. So what can you and I do as a church if we, want to, if we want to try to see our future prosper? We want to see the work of God prosper in our hands. Then we need to give ourselves to our walk with God. It's one of the reasons I've been spending so much time on Wednesday nights lately teaching you about prayer. Prayer. And we're going to be spending some time teaching you about spending time meaningfully in God's Word to help you enjoy God. Why? Because we need to give ourselves to enjoying God. Giving ourselves to our walk with God. Not just trying in the strength of our own flesh to obey God. We can't do that. Willpower is not sufficient to live the Christian
1: life. We need to We need to draw near to Him. Let's pray.